0: Hello and welcome to another edition of Clutching at Crumbs. I'm Kevin Boris. In these podcast series, I've been talking to creative people, singers and songwriters and magicians, performers who currently have no outlet for their creative talents. Um, We've been talking about how they're making the most of this downtime, this lockdown, using Facebook, using Zoom, just finding ways of performing and rehearsing and doing the things they like doing, also being very good for their mental health. A lot of creative people have that kind of slightly, you know, either side of the the, the creative fence, if you like. And these people who perform, it's great for their mental health and they're all struggling and finding it difficult because they have no outlet. So instead of that, I thought I would talk to my friend, Dr. Simon Elliott, um, who is a very well-respected and and very well-selling author on um, Roman Britain. Um, So, Simon, thank you for joining me, first of all. Absolute pleasure, Kevin. Thank you for having me on. Well, no, of course. Now, I thought, you see... Because I've been talking to singers, I've got one one multi instrumentalist I had on the show the other day, <coughs> who doesn't have a job. <coughs> this is his job. He makes money out of performing. He does open mic nights. He runs open mic nights. He makes records. He does gigs, five or six gigs a week, and he's got no creative outlet. He's really stifled by what's going on. But I thought with you, because <coughs> you're obviously we'll talk about your books in a minute, but you're an author, an archaeologist, and this 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 COVID nineteen is not actually stopping you doing your Doing your work, is it? It's kind of, it's you're, you're kind of, you're the opposite. You're throwing it back in its face.
1: Absolutely, I, I, I laugh in the face. of covid and say, I'm going to overcome you in my own way, through just doing my day job. So my day job is getting up at about five five thirty in the morning and putting six music on or Planet Rock and uh, basically trying to break the back of a working day, writing my books before lunchtime, and then taking the dog for a walk. So in actual fact, my day has not changed at all, <coughs> apart from the fact there are a lot more people in the fields where I live near Maidstone, taking dogs for a walk going for a walk, who we've got to stay about a kilometre away from. So apart from that, it's actually my normal day job. And in actual fact, the bizarre thing is, i've got i've got about five or six publishers the one industry which appears not to have been affected at all is publishing because we're just cracking on i got engaged um i've got nine books out which we can talk about in a minute for sale on amazon etc and I got engaged to write one over a six-week period at the end of January, which almost broke me, but I did. It was 100,000 words, big coffee table size book, lots of color plates, Um, and I I had the free time because there was a very little day job activity. I run a small PR company myself. And then this week, I spoke to one of my publishers and pitched three new titles, um, and they've all got commissioned. So I'm actually picking up more writing work, actually. Hmm. Well, that's good. That's what we want to see, positive stuff. Now let's talk about your book. So for background for the listeners, Simon and I have
0: known each other for 31 years. Um, <laughs> in February. Crazy baby. It's, yeah. So we used to work together at, at Jane's Information Group. Simon was the naval editor on Jane's Defence Weekly back in those days. Simon then went to work for Flight International, um, eventually working his way through a sort of political PR and corporate PR to the point where now he's obviously, as Simon said, he's got his own... Uh, uh, corporate communications firm but in the last few years you've been you've made this great reputation for writing about Roman Britain you're an archaeologist and and you've got all these kind of you became a a doctor of course a doctor of archaeology and your reputation has completely changed obviously we knew I knew you as a a well-respected naval journalist now you're an expert in Roman Britain and that was always a thing you've had you know been one of your interests but um there's a tv show you've been on you've done tv work and on forthcoming uh, episode We'll be talking to uh, someone from a TV show, or I mentioned who. Talk about your TV show because it's quite an exciting prospect anyway. But now people are going to be
1: indoors more, you're going to get more viewers. It's another good news story, actually. Kev, I mean, I mean I've been on um, programs, I've been recording programs which have had for the last year or so. Uh, gradually started picking up work in fact actually bizarrely i have an imbd page and i've not actually launched an imbd page <laughs> so ah. so it's actually doing it automatically for me every time that the program details go up and um the imbd gets updated automatically i've been on programs for channel five discovery science national geographic history hit tv uh and now this is a this is a really big breakthrough program actually it's called the, uh, the great big the, sorry the great british dig with hugh dennis as the sort of presenter right and this is a pilot and basically it's like the old weekly channel 4 archaeology program in the sense that what we're trying to do is go to people's back gardens and get communities engaged so here the producer came to me and said do you have a roman villa beneath one of the uh, sites which you examine for your phd thesis my PhD thesis was about how Roman London was built, from the ragstone quarries of the Upper Medway Valley, and then the villas where the elites who ran the quarries lived. And I did—I actually did. It's beneath the street called Florence Road in Maidstone. And um, so, for a period of a week last year, we shot, and it was a really big deal. mic up all the time, having to switch off when you go to the loo. Um, four camera crews following you all the time, drone shots overhead all the time, so you're not escaping from it, and doing archaeology at the same time being interviewed by Hugh and that kind of thing and um, it's basically trying to find a Roman villa beneath this street and I'm not going to tell you the outcome but it's a fantastic program <coughs> all very positive local community loved it and it's on at nine o'clock on Thursday the night next week so that's sort of me and I get to wear my bandana as well I've now yeah again Simon Simon is as
0: famous for his bandana as, as anything else so Simon I've been to We've done Glastonbury, we've done the Devil Reading festivals, we've done a lot of, a lot of festivals together. Um, do you remember when we went to see REM at, to uh, a town in Buckinghamshire? I'm not even going to name in 1995. That's how that's, I remember your <laughs> bandana from Glastonbury. Um, so it's nice, it's nice that that's, that's still going. So, how many episodes of this programme are there?
1: It's the pilot, so that's the key thing. Ah. There's a Jeopardy. depends how many people watch it. So, all of your listeners, please do watch it. Yes. Because uh, the numbers will be tracked. And I think actually, given there is no former weekly archaeology program on channel four anymore i'm not mentioning any names no. um if, if if it gets a big view of viewing audience and I'm, I'm sure it will actually do massive amounts of promo at the moment already on it um and I've, been, I've written four blogs already uh, for various publishers and um I'm a, I'm a guide for andante travel on roman sites in the um mediterranean so for example that's the area where i've lost out at the moment because next week i was going to take a tour around uh, rome <laughs> but clearly i'm not as an example yeah. um uh, so, so basically it's you know it could be sort of a big breakthrough moment so i'm really looking forward to it and of course you get the jeopardy involved because none of us have seen it so i'm in the prime in the trailer three times and it looks all right but you just don't know what what uh, what, what how, how it's been cut so what
0: are you doing to replace the i'm not talking about the money but the replace the idea you have this 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 guided tour of, of rome so are you doing something similar on on zoom
1: or facebook can you replace that in some way learning learning from you kevin about ah. how to use zoom appears to be the most wonderful tool actually to do online lectures so I'm, I, I do an adult education course to various other education institutes on roman britain um 12 week course two hours using a powerpoint deck with pretty pictures and the idea i've got is actually to basically uh, launch it uh, through Zoom and do it to anybody who wants to follow me around the world. I've got a, lot, a large number of followers on Twitter, lots of mates on Facebook, use Instagram, a uh, good database of people um, who um, work with me. So, and I think all my publishers will help me as well. So the idea is basically to launch this, but through Zoom, to the whole world. So anybody up to 100 people who want to come in, I'll do a lecture on the beginning of Rome in Britain, uh, the Claudian invasion, Julius Caesar in Britain, um, Septimius Severus in Scotland, that kind of thing.
0: So, how, I mean, obviously we've known each other a long, long time. Um, so when we, when we first met, Margaret Thatcher was our Prime Minister. That's how long ago that was. Um, so where did it start this, this, this interest in Roman Britain come from? So I, I know you've always had this, but where did it come from to the point where it was an interest in something you'd always talked about, but to now the fact that you're actually making a living out of this, this hobby, which is a fantastic thing to do, to make your hobby your living fantastic.
1: The... the, the um... You're quite right, I've always loved uh, ancient and classical history anyway. My first degree was a, a sort of a 2-2 in history and politics from that great centre of learning uh, in history, Bradford University. Um, but in my 40s, sort of <coughs> in my early 40s, I sort of had a, um, a sort of a revelatory moment. I thought, you know what, I'll try and get back into academia part-time. And I did a part-time master's in studies at KCL. Loved it, really loved it, and decided what I wanted to do was segue into um, doing a part-time into doing a part-time phd actually in archaeology I tried to do that at ucl and got through to the viva and then they realized i didn't have an academic background in archaeology which i would need to do an archaeology ah. phd they suggested i do an ma so i've got two master's degrees <laughs> i've got an ma in archaeology and on the back of that i then did the phd and I, I, that's when i stepped away from doing frontline public affairs and pr uh, in 2014 <laughs> I graduated in 2017, sat down trying to work out how to monetize intellectual property because there was a lot. I thought, well, I'll do the writing, but I won't pay the bills. I'll do the guide lecturing, now doing the broadcasting and now I'm going to be doing the online lecturing as well. So in actual fact, one of the really odd things about the lockdown is it's made people think completely differently about how they go about things. And I think the world, when it comes out of it, sooner rather than later, hopefully, will be quite a different place in certain respects, because people will have invented, through necessity, a different way of doing things which are important to them. Um, yeah. And one of them is going to be, um, I, I think, actually, the the, the online lecturing. Actually, um, it's very interesting. You know, I, I, I'm giving. A, I was due in April also to be giving. Um, Uh, a keynote speech at uh, HISTFest, which is a history festival that takes place at the British Library on my Julie Caesar book. Uh, But obviously that got cancelled. and That's been pushed back to later in the year. Um, But HISTFest this afternoon are doing a live stream broadcast on YouTube where the organiser is interviewing various people who are presenting at the show later in the year and who've got books to push. And so you get free Uh, online access to really high level sort of experts in their fields and that's thinking out of the box shows yeah. how human beings are exceptionally resilient one of the reasons why we're going to get through this is because we are having to think outside the box and we're coming up with solutions um, and yeah. we will be doing things differently i think you know it's a very positive thing to come out of it well that's
0: it is it, it is extraordinary how quickly you get used to the new surroundings i i've i fortunately i have been able to work from home for the last 14 years pretty much. I haven't, but I can't. I could have done. So for me, this is kind of not difficult. It's not difficult for you. But if you're a bricklayer or a carpenter, or you you know, what do you do? You can't you can't bricklay at home. So people are having to think of new ways of doing things. And I, I mentioned a bricklayer, I know somebody's who's a bricklayer who's now giving bricklaying tutorials from his back garden on Facebook. Very clever. He'd, he'd never I mean, really used Facebook. He's not a social media person at all. And he just thought, well maybe maybe I could I was happen to be talking to him about something else. He's like, Oh I, I could do that. Maybe I could teach people to lay bricks and that's what he's doing. And he's charging. I don't know what he's charging. I I am not gonna advertise it it's not kind of time to do it. But I just thought it was a, a great idea. People are thinking differently. They're, yeah, outside the box, you're right. And I think maybe this is there's no positives to come out of this. We realise there's no positives to come out of what's going on. But if it's if it at some point in the future there's people's, Thinking has changed and how they process what they do and who they are that's going to be a slight kind of you know a side tick isn't it that things things have things have changed positively so let's talk about your books then so you've 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 just written your ninth is that right or have you got nine published now I've lost count I'm afraid sorry
1: well I'm on Amazon Amazon at the moment so what I'll do is I'll just read them out to you and I'll just tell you a little bit of background about them yes interesting about Amazon as well is that um, the placing of the book on Amazon is based on the number of hits that people look at the book uh, and if you type in simon ellie's in the search field on amazon the first nine hits are all my books nah. um, so we have september Severus in scotland the northern campaign of the first hammer of the scots it tells a story about the great warrior emperor's attempts to conquer scotland in 8209 and 210 when in the second campaign he declared a genocide which in the archaeological record it now looks as though actually happened um, and that was an amazon number one bestseller for two weeks last year around the world in um uh historical biography the next one's a book coming out later this year actually it's almost like severus the prequel it's a book about his mentor, who's an amazing figure, actually. Imagine Russell Crowe saying this. I'm going to try it and never get it wrong. I'm sorry. Pertinus, <laughs> uh, the son of a slave who became the emperor of Rome. And this is a guy who was the son of a slave, who did become the emperor of Rome. He, his father was a manumitted slave. Manumitted means freed. And became a millionaire uh, in industry, which many manumitted slaves did. They're called free, freed men." So that's a man or a woman who was a slave who has been freed, either by buying their freedom or being freed as an act of kindness.
0: Wow.
1: Um, not sure what the latter took place, uh, but certainly Pertinax's father became very wealthy and his, uh, he, he, he was exceptionally well taught. And he became, uh, decided he wanted to be a teacher, so he was a grammarian, uh, until he was 36. And he had this, just like me with my academia, he had this sudden revelation, decided he wanted to be, go in the military. So we ended up fighting uh, as a junior officer in the Roman Parthian War at the beginning of the AD 160s, then came to Britain twice to be based with Legio VI Victrix in York and then being command of the auxiliary units at House Fort on Hadrian's Wall. Then he became a leading figure in the military through the Malcomanic Wars, at the end of which he became a consul. And then he was the prefect in Rome, the night when Commodus, the mad bad Commodus, was assassinated in... um, uh, ad um new year's eve AD 192 193 and being the prefect in rome the praetorian Guard made him the emperor and he, he, however he styled himself on the great philosopher emperor marcus aurelius and he um said no when they came to him said can you pay us make you the emperor they came back in february and said the same thing and he said no and then they said to him we're going to ask you next month and if you say no again we'll kill you so they came back again and he said no and they killed him and it's at the end of this year this begins the year of the five emperors at the end of which septimius severus is the emperor and there's an amazing story actually about how severus gives him a state funeral and because he's been dead for about eight months close the body's not in a fit state for the burial so they make a wax effigy of him which is what they then burn on a pyre as the final piece of the state burial on the top of which is a uh, uh, on the top of which is a, a cage in which is an eagle which is released just as the body catches fire with him being deified and going to heaven wow. so that was an amazing story to write no one's what? ever written a book about and he's got this, he's got a great links to britain because he was the governor of britain at, at one stage and one of the legions here actually tried to assassinate him and uh, killed his guard left him for dead and he recovered i'm just going to get rid of the cat Put <coughs> it with a dog
0: but it's the cat <laughs> I do like animals have made appearances on two of these now that's great Well,
1: so that's, uh, that's the cat Hermes obviously and the dog's called Hector obviously yes um, and uh, yeah so, so the eagle's released and his deified. it's an amazing story uh, and, and when the legion when he recovered in Britain after being the assassination attempt he carried out a decimation and the legion involved we don't know which one it was but I think it was legio 2 augusta three, and caerlyon that means that one in ten legionaries is singled out and the other nine of the ten, this is all the way through the legion, beat him to death. Big deal. So it's an amazing story. I've also got a book called Roman Legionaries. I've got a book called Julius Caesar, Rome's Greatest Warlord. There's my PhD thesis, which has been published as a ragstone to riches because it's about how Roman London was built. Yeah. Uh, I've got the one on sale now, which I wrote in the six weeks called Romans at War, Seagulls of Empire, which is the story of the Roman Navy in Britain, which was 2017 military history matters book of the year and that's the story in itself actually because it shows how it can cross over in the world in which we live because i did a pr campaign around that being one of the ten candidates that year and it was a campaign that pushed over the line to win uh i've got empire state how the roman military built an empire which tells the story of the roman military doing everything but fighting finally old testament warriors the clash of cultures in the ancient near east um which is basically biblical there you go mate extraordinary So, you've written all those books in the last, what, seven years? Six years? 2016, the first one came out. In four years? God, you are 100,000 word PhD thesis. But, I mean, again, being involved initially in publishing and NPR, etc., you know the skills you need to use. You've got to be in time management. Yeah. There's got to be a fairly common thread about how the books go through. So, there's always a, a, a chunk of intellectual property from one book, which you don't use, and that can often form the uh call the core of the next book which you build around and in fact actually the book I've just delivered which will be out next year so it's not on pre-sale is a great theme actually um and it's british it's called uh Roman Britain's lost legion what really happened to legion IX britannia so it's the, the story of the eagle of the knights Rosemary resurgence but as a detective story from a historian's perspective looking at all the hypotheses about what could have happened to this legion which disappears the only legion there were about 60 legions throughout the entirety of the Roman Republican Empire. At any one time, about 30, and it's the only legion which we don't know its fate. It just disappears. It's a complete mystery. And it's last mentioned in contemporary history by Tacitus in AD 82, in the context of it nearly being wiped nearly being wiped out uh, when Agricola tried to conquer Scotland. Ah. Last mentioned in epigraphy, i.e. in an inscription in York in AD 108. It's replaced in York in AD 122 by Legio 6 Victrix when Hadrian visits and then in AD 165 there's there's a list in Rome of Roman legions on a column extant at that time and it's not on it so it it appears between 108 and 165 and almost certainly between 108 and 122.
0: So I did describe you as an expert earlier on I think if anyone was quite sure, and I was just being nice to you because we're mates, no. You can, <laughs> it's pretty much obvious.
1: Wait, you know Then Enter me a random question about Roman sports. Roman sports. All right. So, is it true,
0: maybe, that I heard some time ago that the Romans were the, actually the
1: first people to play football? Is that rubbish? Right. I would think, uh, I would think people mucking around with an inflated pig skin or some pig bladder or something like that has gone on forever you know yeah. um the, the the issue is though we have no evidence of it um so it's prehistory, there's no history of it however the romans are the first ones we know of who actually did have a form of football because we have history referencing it and pictures of it it's called harpastum and actually, it's a form, of, it's almost like a form of keepy piappi. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, between two, yeah. So, it's called harpastum. Okay, very, 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 very uh, popular with the Roman legions. Actually, the Roman legions themselves with a very strong sense of personal identity. Each legion, um, each legion has a symbol. So, the ninth legion had a, an a- elephant, the um, second legion, Augusta, and Caelionella Capricorn, as an example, and. Uh, Within the legions, there was always obviously this uh, drive to stay fit. And I think this would fit into that, actually, because it's a very skillful game in actual fact. I mean, the ball is about the size of a softball, not a football. And also the object is actually to keep the ball in the air, not hit the floor. So you have two teams uh, on a pitch, which is fairly football sized. And the idea is that your team keeps the ball in their own half and off the ground. Okay, and the opposing team goes in and tries to get the ball off you and take it to their half of the ground. We don't know how they scored, but maybe it's how many times the ball hits the floor in your own half or something like that. Ah, but what, the thing, what was they, the ball made they, from? Sorry? A pig's bladder or what? Uh, we don't know. Just We just know from ah. the size of mean, presumably, or something like that, but we just know from the size of it, it looked like on, on images the size of a softball. Um, and. Here's the thing: you can use your hands as well, and you can tackle. Now, let me tell you, a Roman legionary is as hard an individual as you're ever going to come across. They 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 had a very vigorous training regime, and they were called Marius Mules, nicknamed after the great warrior consul Marius in the end of the second, beginning of the first century BC, who reformed the legions into what you and I would recognise as a Roman legion with Roman yeah. um and the thing is, one of the things he got away, did away with was a, was a sort of a, a supporting train to follow the legions. The legioners carried everything themselves. Okay? So wow. they carried, um, they carried, uh, they're in the, the march in their armour, they carried the helmets in the chest, the shields on their back, weapons in normal position and then they had a T-shaped pole on which was everything including all the kit to eat with, all the, they, were, they carried all the engineering kit because they were the engineers which built the Roman Empire. So they were called Marius's mules, basically. So I like to, think of a Roman legionary as somebody who's got the same physical build as a middleweight Olympic weightlifter, square and muscle. And when they were playing half past them, they could tackle each other. <laughs> Can you imagine?
0: on. Oh so it's kind of like competitive hacky sack with tackling.
1: Yeah, it's a very good way of saying it. So it's a very good way of describing it. It's also interesting to describe of course that the Romans are like like all peoples of the past. They're like us but they're different. And yeah. some of the Differences which are uncomfortable to us today are to do with um, casual violence. It's very normal for the Romans, casual violence. Their most popular public sport is obviously the arena. And if you think about what's happening in the arena, people have been murdered in their thousands. I saw one theory that more people lost their lives in the Colosseum arena over the period of its use than any other similar sized place on earth apart from the nuclear explosion sites at hiroshima and nagasaki which is worth thinking about i mean in the the arena i mean there was a set piece of activity basically the first basically it was all day you had to go and um the first third was the public executions Mm. which, by the way could be as theatrical recreations of um greek or roman literature with the people to be executed dressed up as the people who die in the drama so you know casual violence attitude complete difference for us today then you had the wild beast hunts where beasts being killed in their thousands and thousands um the mad bad commodus is thought at one stage to have killed 100 lions with javelins so they must have been drugged um because he was an idiot and then you have the gladiatorial combat so the whole lot is very sanguineous um and if you want to get a sense of what it's like to go into one of these arenas here go to the guildhall library in london which is the guildhall the libraries um the art collection there So the guildhall art like guildhall art, art, art library actually and it's got three stories of pictures but then on the bottom floor they've exposed the roman amphitheatre the foundations. you could walk into it through one of the entrances and if you want to get the hair standing up on the back of your neck as you walk in along and the stone's about four or five courses high so you, you can get the real sense it's an amphitheatre just as you're about to enter the arena, there are two rooms either side, which have uh, slots of portcullises facing out onto the arena. These are clearly the uh, places where the beasts are kept. Uh-huh. So your experience of entering the arena includes hearing the be- hearing the beasts, which are going to fight each other and humans, or execute people, and smell them as well. So it's a very real experience. It oh, okay. Sends the hairs on the back of your neck. Out. It's very odd. When we are when we're allowed out, but, in the first place I go,
0: not the pub. And, not and, the then pub. Have,
1: and then you have the chariot racing as well, of course. So and the Colosseum could could hold about eighty or ninety thousand people. However, if you go to the Palatine Hill and stand on top of the Palatine Hill, behind you you have the Forum Romanum, in front of you you have the um, Circus Maximus, the the hippodrome, which is where they have the chariot racing, exactly as you see in Ben Hur, effectively. Yeah. Uh, what you don't see there though is it's a very organised thing with four racing teams around the entire empire all with a different color uh, the greens the, the whites etc and you as you grow up will be brought up to support one of the teams by your dad in the same way i support nottingham forest because my mm. dad supported nottingham forest yeah you support one of the racing teams and you have exactly the same thing happening around them as you do today you have gambling uh, legal and illegal and uh, you have violence, crowd violence. I mean, there's, there's, there are cases in, Byzant- uh, in um, Constantinople where the um, racing teams are egged on by the emperor or would-be emperors to attack the would-be emperors or emperors. So they become almost a state, um, a, a, an arm of state, as it were. So it's absolutely intrinsically linked all the way through all strata Roman life from top to bottom. Uh, so sport to the Romans was as important to, to, to them as it is to us.
0: Well, fascinating stuff. I mean, let's hope people listening to this, are, 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 are their interest in Roman Britain or the Romans in general, peaked. Simon, thank you very much indeed for joining me uh, once again. Um, it's the kind of thing that I've just, we're trying to get positive stuff out there. It's a very difficult time to be positive, but we're listening to talking to magicians and artists and, and singers and songwriters and bands and, authors like yourself and just trying to see how people are coping with the current situation. You're coping extremely well and, and thriving off it. So that's fantastic. Good to hear. So Simon Elliott, Dr. Simon Elliott, I keep forgetting to call you that. Sorry. Um, thanks for joining me. Uh, Simon's books are available on all many, many platforms and many, many all good bookshops, but you can't go to bookshops currently. So it's Amazon, do have a look on Amazon in whatever country you're listening to this. You can get Simon's books on Amazon. There's Simon Elliott with two L's and two T's. So in the meantime, Simon, thanks once again and I'll speak to you again soon. My name's Kevin Boris. Thank you.